When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. The resurrection is shown in a true New Testament church by Bible baptism. You know, we're, we're asked if we're even Christians because we don't celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ the way the Bible tells us to. Every time we have a baptism, we see the Lord Jesus Christ rising from His grave. We see ours, our own rising from the old way of living to a walk in newness of life. And we see the resurrection of the dead when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We celebrate the resurrection. We just try to do it the Bible way. When it comes to this subject of baptism, I hope that you will spend a little bit of time thinking, you older ones, about the difference between deductive and inductive reasoning. If you go to Wikipedia online, you can find a simple explanation. We have an outline entitled Understanding the Scriptures, in which you can look at also when it has several pages of explaining what that means. Deductive reasoning is having absolute rules that, uh, that are called general propositions because they apply to the whole thing. And you can then take a general proposition and apply it to every individual case of a person being baptized. Inductive reasoning is when you look at every individual case, and it's a very weak form of reasoning, because how do you know that you've looked at all the individual cases before you come to a general proposition to cover them all? We do our inductive reasoning, and we're about to do it right now with some baptism passages that I hope you'll enjoy, because we start out with deductive reasoning. Baptism does not save. Baptism is only applied to believers, and baptism is always by immersion, because the Bible establishes those as general rules for baptism. And by general, I don't mean that there are exceptions. I mean it's general in that you can apply it to any individual case. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. While you're going there, we are Baptists because John was a Baptist. John was not called a Baptist just because he did something with water. John was called a Baptist because he was a dipper. Everything we read about him was a dipper. John was a dipper and he dipped Jesus. And when you go and get baptized by a Baptist preacher, what does that make you? You're a Baptist. Jesus was a Baptist. Mary was a Baptist. Peter was a Baptist, and they called him the first pope. He was a Baptist. Paul was a Baptist, because they were baptized by Baptist preachers. Where did John get his authority to baptize? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was sent from heaven with that authority to baptize. There was only one Christian in the New Testament that wasn't baptized, beside the thief on the cross. That we know about. You know who it was? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't need to be baptized. He was sent from heaven to start baptism. Do you know what some men have done when they want to start a Baptist church? And this is, this is to their shame and it's to our shame. They'll both go out into a pool and baptize each other. John the Baptist didn't need anyone to baptize him. He was sent from God to be the original Baptist. And Jesus went to him and John said, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no. Suffer to be so now. At this present time, let's fulfill all righteousness by allowing me to give an example to the rest of these people watching that I'm willing to submit to your baptism as well. Jesus didn't need to repent for anything, but he did justify God. Baptism is how we justify God. I've got myself into a mess and an outline about baptism. I've got hundreds of reasons why we are Baptists. 
But I want you to rejoice in a few of them before we go home today. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 1. I hope you read this last night. I hope you had pleasure in it yourself. In those days came John the Baptist. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Listen, we still know what a Baptist is. You walk down the street and say, what's a Baptist? What identifies a Baptist? Oh, they're the ones that dip you all the way under the water when you're baptized. Thank you very much. I just want to check to make sure Baptist still means Baptist. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make the, his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. That wasn't a camel hair jacket that you buy at S&K. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. And his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. He didn't bring baptism to them. They had to go to him. And he was out in the wilderness and he was dressed like a wild man. And he baptized in a certain place. And I love verse 6 and I hope you love it as well. All the region of Jerusalem, Judea and the region about Jordan went out to John and were baptized of him in Jordan. Confessing their sins. Were there any infants done in the Jordan River? No, because they don't confess their sins. See, we're doing inductive reasoning now. We have the authority by the rest of the Bible to take these verses and know exactly what they're saying. We aren't guessing, hallucinating, imagining, hypothecating, or suggesting what these verses mean. We know what they mean. We are Baptists. Because John baptized in Jordan. Rather than from Jordan. It would be from Jordan if he had taken some of Jordan up on the shore and poured it over your head. For those of you that want to see the world's greatest collection of religious art, it's just down the road a few miles. It's called the Art Museum at Bob Jones University. You can go in there and wander through those 40 rooms of sacred art. You know what that means? Catholics from the Dark Ages. That's what sacred art means. Catholics from the Dark Ages. And you can go in there and see John standing in the edge of Jordan pouring a cup of water over Jesus' head. You can see Jesus getting circumcised and everything. Oh yeah, you can catch his foreskin. You can see the works there. You can see the breast that Jesus sucked on because after all, a Catholic woman said in the New Testament... Blessed is the womb that gave birth to you and the paps that you sucked. They're both there. He's sucking one and playing with the other. It's in the Sacred Art Museum of Bob Jones University. Go and check me out. I wouldn't exaggerate to you about something that important. They were baptized of him in Jordan. Notice it doesn't say they were baptized of him near Jordan. I love prepositions in the Bible. It doesn't say near Jordan, from Jordan. It says in Jordan. We're Baptists because John baptized in Jordan. You say, well, that's the only place in the Bible. I bet you've got that prep. Oh, no, we don't. For those of you that can turn quickly, or I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 1 and verse 5. We want to stay at Matthew 3. There's too many good things in Matthew 3. Mark 1, 5 puts it this way. 
There went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. In the river this time of Jordan. How about verse 9? And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Mark 1, 9. Now, see, it says in Jordan. If we just had Matthew 3, 6, Mark 1, 5, Mark 1, 9. Now, let's be fair. If we just had those three verses, could we prove immersion? No. That would be inductive reasoning without enough sampling to make a general proposition that baptism has to be by immersion. He could have been standing in the river pouring water. There's not enough information. But because we started out with three axioms... We can go into those passages and know exactly what it's talking about. See, they have to figure out why would they both have to go into Jordan in order to pour a little water over his head. And they get a little squeamish about that, but not much because they've been blinded about the truth of baptism. But we can go into these verses and they just open up like a flower because we've established the general propositions of baptism from other places where the general rules of baptism are laid down. These are the specific cases And we can just see, we know exactly what John was doing. He wasn't John the poor. He wasn't John the Lutheran. He wasn't John anything else but John the Baptist. And he was immersing. Because immersion is the only baptism found in the Bible. And he only immersed believers. And that's why these were confessing their sins. So the next point we want to make from Matthew 3, 6 is we are Baptists because John baptized those who confessed their sins. And it says that all in that one little verse. We're baptized of Him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Babies can't confess sins and babies don't confess sins. But these people confess their sins. And so that's why we're Baptists. Because this is how Baptists baptize. They baptize in water, not from water, not near water, not with water. They baptize in water. And they only baptize those who are confessing their sins. And so Matthew 3, 6 is a Baptist text. And no one else can use it. Because they have no general propositions or axioms to prove what is under consideration there. We do. We know exactly why he was in Jordan. The guy spent half his life in Jordan after he got to 30 years of age. And that whole region came out to be baptized of him. You know, I read to you from Mark chapter 1, it said that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. We are Baptists because Jesus traveled so far to find a Baptist preacher to get a Baptist baptism. Do you know how far he had to travel from Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized by John? Sixty miles. He didn't have a car, moped, or any other kind of transportation you're thinking of. He walked sixty miles to find a Baptist preacher to be baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. And that's why we're Baptists. And sometimes we do a little bit of driving to find much water. We have to go all over the county. The last time we had a baptism, we went down to Piedmont, South Carolina, in order to find much water, and we had a baptism there. Jesus went all the way to the Jordan River, where he was baptized in Jordan, Mark 1, 9, by John the Baptist. That's why we're Baptists. A couple of other things in this chapter that you may not be familiar with, or, or you, you breezed over sometimes. There needs to be fruits, meat for repentance, before you baptize a person. There needs to be evidence. That they truly do repent of their sins and love God. Some Pharisees came to his baptism and John the Baptist just held them up right away and said, bring forth some fruits, meat for repentance. Show us that you've really got 
that you've really got repentance by showing us some fruits of it in your life. That's in verse, that's in verse 8. In verse 11, it mentions that John said, the one that's coming after me is greater than me. I baptize you in water, with water. The one that's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost took place in the day of Pentecost when the 120 were in an upper room. Don't, don't you, don't think about this thing on their heads. That was, that's not the baptism of fire. I'm going to get to the baptism of fire in just a minute. That is not the baptism of fire. John the Baptist said, Jesus Christ is coming. I'm telling you about him. I'm preparing his way. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost took place in the day of Pentecost. Was it an immersion? If you go read Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, there were people in an upper room, and all of a sudden there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled how much of the house? Filled all the house. Where they were, if you're, where they were sitting, it says, if you're sitting in a room and something fills the room, are you immersed? I'm not playing with words. That's the Holy Spirit's words. And we know that a baptism is immersion. And when John said that Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Ghost, and we believe that baptism is a dipping, submerging, covering, overwhelming immersion, that happened on the day of Pentecost. Because the Holy Spirit filled that room where they were sitting. What's the baptism of fire? It's the burning up of the city of Jerusalem 40 years later in 70 A.D. Look at the text. I was just reading to you from verse 11. What's, what's verse 12 talking about? Is verse 12 talking about having a candle flame on top of your head on the day of Pentecost? That's no baptism. If you even think that for a minute, you're halfway to being a Presbyterian. If you think that for half a minute, that the baptism by fire or with fire is that little thing from Acts 2, you're a Catholic. Because they pour a little bit of water on your head. The crown. They no longer do it on the forehead. It's done on the crown. That baptism of fire is the burning up of Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 7. The king said, because they rejected my son's wedding and wouldn't come to it, he'll miserably destroy those murderers and burn up their city. Is it a baptism? Well, you can go to Daniel chapter 9 and read that the fire of the Roman armies that they set on the city of Jerusalem... The end of that war was overwhelming with a flood. If a flood overwhelms you, you are baptized, brother. And the city of Jerusalem was overwhelmed and overrun by the fire of the Roman armies as it wiped out that city. There was a baptism that took place on the city of Jerusalem. And if you look at verse 12, you can see what fire he's talking about. He's not talking about a little candle flame on your head. He's talking about a blast furnace that Jesus Christ is working up by bellows or a fan in his hand whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That fire wouldn't stop burning and wouldn't be quenched until it had burned up all the chaff of that generation. Because John had just said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Because there was wrath coming on that nation and that generation. That's the baptism of fire. Now let's come down to... Jesus getting baptized of John. In verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. Jesus was down in the water, and immediately as he came up out of the water, the heavens was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Do you know what John says about this in John 1? They say, how do you know what you're doing? How do you know who the Son of God is? John said, all I know is, 
that the one that sent me to baptize told me that the one that you baptized, the Holy Ghost comes down and stays upon. He is the Son of God. <laughs> John 1 is precious. John the Baptist's ministry was so, was so limited. They came to him and they said, Are you the Christ? No. Are you, are you Elias? They meant reincarnation. No. Was he the spiritual fulfillment of Elias, Elijah the prophet? Yes. Are you the prophet that Moses told the Israel about in Numbers 8? No. Who are you? I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. But whose authority are you? All I know is that the one that sent me to baptize told me that the one that, that, the one that has the Son of God coming, the, has the Holy Spirit coming down and staying upon him, he is the Son of God. And at that moment, John chapter 1, Jesus walks up and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And there's two disciples of John with him named Andrew and, <laughs> Andrew and Philip. Bye-bye, John. <laughs> Bye-bye. We are going to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Hey, what are you guys doing? Where, where do you spend the night? Where are you going to stay tonight? They wanted to follow Jesus. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and I'm sorry about that. But it's in John chapter 1. It's beautiful. John the Baptist had such a limited ministry about identifying Jesus Christ. You know, when he was in prison, he sent to Jesus and said, Art thou the one that should come, or do we look for another? His purpose was passed. He got his head chopped off, and he was the first Baptist martyr, and he went to heaven. I love John the Baptist. You know, he said he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. I want to ask you this. Does the Bible say that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah? Does the Bible say that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the prophecy about Elijah coming? Did he dress like Elijah? Now I want to ask you this question. Did he baptize like Elijah? How did, how did Elijah baptize Naaman the Syrian? Seven times in the Jordan River. Don't, don't, we, don't count our doc, we don't base our doctrine on that point. But Naaman did dip himself seven times in the Jordan River and didn't like doing it because it was a dirty river. He wanted to do it in some of the clean streams up in the mountains of Syria, north of Israel. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And we find Philip, the deacon, who became an evangelist. Acts chapter 8. All these verses are ours. Because we go into them with general propositions from the rest of Scripture where God has declared what baptism is. It does not save. It is only applied to believers, and it's always by immersion. It always shows a symbology of burial and resurrection. It's only applied to those that are giving God the answer of a good conscience, and it never takes away the filth of the flesh. It is a symbolic action of how Jesus Christ took those things away. So into Acts chapter 8, Philip the deacon leaves the city of Jerusalem along with everyone else. The apostles stay there because there's a great persecution. In verse 12 we read, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. We are Baptists because Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 tells us that Philip baptized believers. Doesn't it say that? When they believed the things Philip preached concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So we're Baptists because of Acts 8.12. But Acts 8.12 has more to say, doesn't it? But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Where are the children? Where are the infants? 
No infants in the city of Samaria. What an opportunity that Philip had to open up the doors of Mother Church to all the babies and infants in the city of Samaria. But he didn't do it. There it is. That's our verse. All these verses are our verse. It's a Baptist book. They want to talk about the fathers. We'll talk about the apostles. They want to call Benedict XVI an apostle. We'll call Paul an apostle. We'll say he's our apostle. We'll say he's the apostle of the Gentiles. We'll say, say he's the greatest apostle. But he's our apostle. Acts 8.12. We're Baptists because of Acts 8.12. Because Philip only baptized those that believed the things he preached about Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And we're Baptists because he only baptized men and women in that city. Let's get over to the eunuch. Aren't you, aren't you getting, aren't you wondering where the infants come in? How can anybody believe in infant baptism? Can you see John the Baptist standing in, in the edge of Jordan with his super soaker, with a leather loincloth, camel's hair, chomping on a, chomping on a grasshopper, biting that thing when you crush one, it has little bones that break. He crunches on a grasshopper, takes his soaker, and they all hold out their babies. And he just soaks them all. Why not? Listen, that makes more sense than what I read to you from a Catholic manual of religion. Spit in his mouth, breathe three times in the form of a cross, breathe out the evil spirit, breathe in the Holy Ghost, leave the door open for the devil to leave. No infants. He could have had the next generation ready for Jesus. He didn't have no violet or purple stole, did he? He didn't have a white stole, did he? He'd have had to rub that ugly camel hair on you if he was going to touch you with his clothing. And you know what? He was like most Baptist preachers. You know there's an incredible difference between a Baptist preacher and a Presbyterian preacher just by meeting them in a, on the street? There's a great difference. And it's the same difference that you, when you met John the Baptist compared to a Pharisee in his long robes with his phylacteries tied around his arms and his forehead with the Word of God for you to know that at least he carried it on his forehead. John the Baptist had it in his soul. He was filled with the spirit and power of Elias. You say, it sounds like you hate Presbyterians. My insurance man's a Presbyterian. I love him. His name is Willis Meadows. If you want the best insurance man in the entire county of Greenville, call Willis Meadows. Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church. I love Willis Meadows. He's a great man. He's a great insurance agent. I believe he loves the Lord. He's totally in the dark on baptism. Every time Willis goes to a funeral, though, he becomes a Baptist. Because you know you've got to put that body down the ground in the hope that it's going to come back up again. And that's just what every Baptist does. It's what every Baptist believes. I hate their doctrine. Amen. It stinks. It's from the great whore of Rome. Amen. They wouldn't have been able to come up with that on their own unless they wanted to follow those that had already been given over to strong delusion because you can't find an infant or sprinkling in the New Testament. Acts chapter 8, out in the middle of the desert. Now, do you think, do you think that uh, the eunuch knew that he was going to have to travel through the desert to get back to Ethiopia? Okay. When you travel through the desert, do you take water along? 
Do they have canteens of water on board this chariot that's going through the middle of the desert? How long do horses last in the desert? This is not a camel chariot. How long? You know, they had water. The Holy Spirit sends Philip, the Baptist, out into the middle of the desert and he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible tells us in verse 27, of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. You should love this guy from that verse. A man of great authority. That authority didn't go to his head in Ethiopia. He didn't stay there. When he got time off or took a leave of absence, he went to Jerusalem. It doesn't say he was there on business. It says he was there in Jerusalem for to worship. He had come to the place where there was a one God worship that was the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord Jehovah of the Jews. Even though he was an Ethiopian, even though he was a Gentile, even though he'd been castrated, he was going to Jerusalem to worship the true and living God. And while he was there, he bought a section of scripture. And he was reading in Isaiah, and it happens to be Isaiah 53, because we have a few quotes from it. And this man is going on his way home, and Philip comes near him. And you know, you know the events there. Philip comes up to him by the prompting of the Holy Spirit and says, Do you know what you're reading? How can I, except some man should guide me? And that's why there's preachers, and that's why there's fathers, and that's why there's husbands. So that we can understand the Word of God. The eunuch says, why don't you get up here and help me? So Philip climbed up into the chariot and saw where he was reading. And the eunuch was so open and honest and humble. You can tell he's born again already. He says, what's the prophet? Is the prophet speaking about himself or is he speaking about some other man? Oh, what an opening. Do you think Philip got a smile before he started speaking? And it said that Philip preached to him Jesus. Preached to him Jesus. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, remember Jesus had told his men, go teach all nations, baptizing them, then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The little bit of teaching that comes before baptism is about Jesus. Because it's believing on Jesus Christ as the Son of God that's the basis for baptism. And confessing your sins and repenting of how you've been living in order to please Jesus Christ. Verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. Would that have been a water fountain? Would that have been a cup of water left out in the desert? Would it have been a water balloon? A super soaker? When it says they came to a certain water, was that a natural body of water? They came to a natural body of water. I've often called it an oasis. It could have been a river. It could have been a stream. It could have been a pond. It could have been a swamp. It could have been a lake. But they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Why hadn't the eunuch already pulled up his canteen and said, See, here is water. Why can't I be baptized? You know, we're laughing because we're laughing at the prophets of Baal and what they said on Mount Carmel. But it's holy laughter and it's righteous laughter and it's good. Clear your souls. 97% of those that call themselves Christians can't even figure out the doctrine of baptism. Or 60 million maybe in the world of 2.1 billion so-called Christians. Why didn't he take his canteen and say, see here is water? Why didn't he poke Philip in the cheek and say, there's water in there, spit on me. Lick a postage stamp and put it on my forehead. 
Why did he didn't say any of those things? Why, he already knew. There's no reason to think that Philip had to preach baptism to him already. What city had he just come from? Jerusalem. What were they doing in Jerusalem on a daily basis with large numbers? Baptizing by immersion. Do you think a man, you know, we, this, this is supposition. We don't know exactly what, what the eunuch understood, but he understood that he needed a body of water in order to be baptized. And he was just coming from a city where he had bought scripture and he was there to worship God. Do you think he might have heard something about this Christian sect? that was in the temple every day, baptizing thousands? However he found out, whether Philip told him or he knew from his travels in, in Jerusalem, he would have heard about Jesus, but he didn't know how to put the Scriptures together yet. See, here is water. He saw a body of water. He saw the much water. We know exactly what he was thinking. There is enough water to get me under it. What hinders me to be baptized? That's Acts 8.36. We are Baptists because in Acts 8.36, it took seeing a certain water in order to think of baptism. And it didn't count by seeing the water that was in a canteen in the chariot. This man was traveling. This man was a dignified man. This man had great authority under Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. To take him down into some little putrid oasis and stuff him underwater is not a very nice thing to do. And the reason I go through all that is Presbyterians like to spend half of their time arguing about whether something is convenient or easy or appropriate or not. Because that's how they'll reason through baptisms like the jailer. There's no way they could have had water deep enough in a jailer's house in the middle of the night for him to be immersed. Well, where do you think they took baths? Where do you think they fed their horses water? You say, you mean he'd baptize them in a horse? Why not? Why did, why, this is a perfect verse for Presbyterian. The, the Presbyterian, if Philip was a Presbyterian, he'd have leaped all over this opportunity to simply have used the eunuch's canteen. The eunuch said, see, there, there's enough water right there. What, can I be baptized? What hinders me from being baptized? What prerequisites or requirements do I need to meet? And you know all the modern Bible versions don't have the next verse. They do have verse 36 that ends with a question, but they don't have the next verse. The NIV, the ESV, pick it. Pick your V. It doesn't have verse 37. It has 36, it has 38, but it doesn't have verse 37. We are Baptists because Acts 8.37 is part of God's word. Because there's a question in verse 36, and it would have been answered before they stopped the chariot and got baptized. Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And that's when your little children come to me. I want to find out if they believe that Jesus is, that they believe in their hearts with all their hearts. And that eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've convinced me by what you've just preached to me from Isaiah 53. Jesus is the Son of God. Let me get baptized. I want to answer God with a good conscience for what he's done for me. And see, here's some water. Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still because he knew he had met the condition. He believed with all his heart. And they went down both into the water. Both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized them. Why is the word both in that verse twice? Why is the word both in there at all? Why doesn't it just say, and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down into the water? 
We're Baptists because Acts 8.38 says both twice. Because it wants you to know by the Holy Spirit that both Philip and the eunuch went down into that water. And there's only one kind of baptism where you've got to go down into the water. Both the administrator and the candidate for baptism. And that's Baptist baptism. They both went down into the water. It doesn't say they went down to the water. You ought to read the Presbyterians that will argue they went down to the water. And they'll change that preposition. And maybe in their Bibles it is changed. But it says they went down into the water. And we already know that because we have axioms that tell us baptism has to be by immersion. We know why they went down into the water. They have no explanation for why they went down into the water. And it uses the word both twice. That's why we don't use the dry minister baptistry that's behind me. If you wonder sometimes why we'll drive all over Greenville County for a baptism and not use this little excuse for a thing back here. Oh, it's pretty enough. It's got a glass front and it's made of light green fiberglass so it looks like water no matter what liquid you pour in there. It looks okay. But do you know why we don't use it? Because we both can't go down into the water. Do I believe that a baptism performed in this thing would not be scriptural? We'd probably accept it. But I'm not going to be party to a baptism like that. I'm going to go down in the water because it says they both went down into the water. I'm sure that there was rope in the chariot that Philip could have tied around the eunuch and let him down into that water himself and then pulled him back up. But why not just do it the way the Bible says? Once we start with a dry minister baptistry. See, this baptistry back here, for those of you that are listening to this tape, I'm so sorry. But there's new baptistries that are installed in churches that are only 24 inches wide. The pastor can stand behind them without getting his hair mussed up or having to change his clothes. He can stand behind them and just push a person down and pull them back up by their head. It's called a dry minister baptistry. That's what that thing is. Any of you that want to inspect it afterwards, take a look at it. We don't use it. The first time I saw that thing, I said, that's going to be tight. (laughs) Especially if it's my big brother and me. It's going to be real tight. If you thought that you've seen a tsunami in a full size. I love my big brother very much. We were talking this week about martyrs uh, by email. About martyrs. And he pointed out the worst persecution we suffer is having to tell somebody we don't celebrate Catholic Christmas and have them turn up their nose at us. That's about as bad as it gets for us. Is, Is that pitiful? We were just relishing the fact that we've been blessed, but we need to remember those martyrs so that it stirs up our hearts to be faithful with what we've been given. That's why we don't use that thing. And you may think that's a little too extreme. You can think what you think, but I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ someday, and he's going to know why I won't use that thing. I'm going to go down in the water, and I don't mind changing clothes. I'll change clothes three times a day all week if there's people that need to be baptized. I love Acts 8.38. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Where? Down in the water. We understand exactly what's happening right here. Verse 39. We're Baptists because of Acts 8.39. And when they were come up out of the water, 
Look what it says. When they were come up out of the water. Not when they came up from the water, but when they came up out of the water. Brethren, lay hold of every one of these. All these inductive passages prove the Baptist position because we've got the parameters and limitations on it of three axioms proven by the Word of God. We're Baptists because of the last clause in verse 39, and he went on his way rejoicing. When was the last time an infant went rejoicing after you stuffed salt in its mouth, spit in its face, poured water over its head, and laid a cloth over its head? How many, how many babies go on their way rejoicing after you've tortured them like that? After you held them outside, took them inside, breathed three times on them? Really? I mean, think about it. He went on his way rejoicing. Why? He had just heard about Jesus Christ, saw the scriptures fulfilled in Jesus Christ, was baptized by an evangelist of the New Testament church, and had given God the answer of a good conscience. He went on his way rejoicing. He had just been buried in a symbolic picture of Jesus Christ's burial and resurrection for him. He went on his way rejoicing. Baptism should result in joy, not a crying baby. It's a wonderful ordinance. Thank you, Lord, for it. Verse, chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, let's grab one of those household baptisms. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were praying in prison at midnight. An earthquake opened the place up. The jailer tried to kill himself. Paul stopped him. He's been converted. Acts 16, verse 33, And the jailer took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Immediately, the jailer and his entire family was all baptized. See, they'll say, there's infant baptism in the Bible because surely the, j- the jailer had some infants. Really? Why is that so sure? I have a black suit coat on today. That's inductive reasoning. What does that prove about tomorrow? What does that prove about yesterday? What does that prove about somebody else with my first name? What does that prove about anything except that right now, but I no longer do, have a black suit on? It proves nothing. You're hallucinating about what the Bible means. Let's read a little bit about his family. Verse 32. Paul and Silas spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Everyone that was in his house was old enough to hear Bible preaching. Verse 34, And when he had brought them into his house, this is the jailer, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Every single member of that family was old enough to hear preaching and to believe it and to be baptized by answering God with a good conscience. That's why we're Baptists. John 3.23, John was baptizing in a place called Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. Do we understand what those words mean? Was that drinking water for humans? Was that drinking water for animals? Or was that much water where John could get a person immersed and back up again easily? Obviously the latter. There's an interesting verse in John chapter 1 and verse 28 that says John was baptizing in a place called, place called Beth, Bethabara. Bethabara, we can't read a single thing about it in the rest of the Word of God. So we've got to look up the definition of Bethabara. What does Bethabara mean? It means house of the Ford. That's not an automobile. House of the Ford or house of the passage. 
What's a Ford when it's not a car? A f- what? Crossing of a river. A Ford is a place in a river where the water is shallow enough that you can wade across. Is that where you'd like to baptize? Or do you want to baptize where you have to swim across? Isn't that wonderful? They're all Baptist verses. Do you know why? Because it's a Baptist book. John was a Baptist. Jesus was a Baptist. And all the apostles were Baptists. That's in John 1.28. Oh, boy. We're Baptists because infants don't do a good job of partaking of the Lord's Supper. I'll close with this. Oh, before I do that one, how about this one? Unless you all become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. See? When those disciples told those parents that were bringing their little children to Jesus, the disciples told Jesus, let us stop this because they're bothering you. And Jesus said, suffer. Suffer the little children to come unto me. See, there's infant baptism in the Bible. Well, there's no water. There's no baptism. Jesus never baptized anyone his entire ministry. John the Baptist baptized and the apostles of Jesus baptized. Here's what Jesus said about those little ones that were coming to him. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? If you want, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me? Don't ever let anyone take you into those passages about the little children coming to Jesus because they were old enough to believe in him. They were old enough to be called by name and to come to Jesus because he would call them to him. And they already believed in him. But my last point I'll make today is we are Baptists because infants don't do well at the Lord's Supper. Infants, first of all, cannot examine themselves. And second of all, infants cannot discern the Lord's body in the two elements. You say, why are you bringing that up? Because I want to tell you about a movement among the reformers in this country, the the Presbyterians in particular. And that is they are now all serving their infants that they baptize the Lord's Supper. Many of these churches, men like Rushus J. Rushus Rushdooney, like James Jordan, like R.C. Sproul, like Gary North. Those are four of a list that I can provide for you that are now teaching infant communion right along with infant baptism. Because if infant baptism makes you a church member, then you ought to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. We can't believe that they would set themselves up like that, can we? We've, we've made fun of that as, if you're going to baptize infants and you want to give them the Lord's Supper, they must have hurt us. They must have hurt us because now they're giving them the Lord's Supper. They are stuffing unleavened bread and wine into the mouths of little infants to give them communion. When the Bible says that you better be able to examine yourself and you better be able to discern the Lord's body and his death till he comes for us. And what did, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do to the church at Corinth because they had people taking the Lord's Supper without discerning the Lord's body in it and without examining themselves? There were many weak, there were many sick, and there were many that were already dead. They have departed from the due order of God's Word and they're running amok. Once you take one step away from the Word of God, where will you stop? And now among the Reformed Presbyterians... The ones that call themselves Calvinists. The ones that are five-pointers. Infant communion. Not all of them. A number of them. And it's gaining in popularity. Because they know it's consistent. And we agree, it's consistent. 
If you're going to baptize an infant, then you might as well give them the Lord's Supper. Both being totally wrong. Brethren, let's love our Bibles. Love reading through the Bible. It's your book. It tells you things that we can fully understand. Every one of these baptism verses, we know exactly what's taking place. In each case, the Lord has been so good to us. What does the Bible say about being delivered from the man of sin and his lies? We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. That is 2 Thessalonians 2.13.